Hi there, it's Jordan Rich with you, and you found the podcast that celebrates creative conversation with people who have a lot to say. They're artistic, inspiring, witty, and happy to spend some time with me, and in turn, you. When it comes to the art of novel writing, the lady we're speaking to today, Juliet Fay, is at the top of her game. She's a graduate of Boston College with a double major in human development and theology. I believe that gives her a great background as a novelist understanding the human condition. She got her degree in public policy from the Kennedy School of Government at Harvard and began typing on her computer while her younger kids napped, writing Between the Raindrops and finally publishing her first novel, Shelter Me, immediately recognized as a very fine piece of writing. Since then, she's written many other books, including Deep Down True, The Shortest Way Home, The Tumbling Turner Sisters, City of Flickering Light, and the latest one we'll talk about today, Catch Us When We Fall. So I just can't wait to talk about her latest book and the art of writing, as we invite Juliet Fay to join us right now on Mike. In reading your work, I'm reminded of a dear friend of mine, Jackie Machard. And oh, wow. Yeah. I mean Wonderful. that. Thank you. In the sincerest way, because your stories, including this one that we're talking about today, are human tapestry stories that really involve so much more than just periphery. It's it's deep character and people we care about. So I just wanted to let that fly <laughs> at the well, beginning. I'm honored. Thank you, Jordan. And That's Jackie, great. Jackie is a great friend. So Juliet, let's talk about the body of work. This is number what? The, this Six. One. Wow. My sixth published novel. Yeah. Six novels, all of them quite successful. This one, Catch Us When We Fall, is destined to be as well. And before we talk about this story, and uh, it's got some baseball in it, which is go- cool for me. Sure it does, yeah. The writing career has really done you well, and you love it. Was this something that you always had in the back of your mind to do as a as a special gift to yourself, or what? <laughs> You know, actually, I didn't. I didn't grow up wanting to be a writer, even though I was, you know, I read everything. Um, and I always sort of had stories in my head, but I, I just didn't, I really didn't know what it was, what being a writer entailed. I never thought of it as a, as a career, even though I was experiencing writer's output, you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't an English major in college. Um, I, w- I had a 20-year career in human services, which I loved. Um, but I was home with kids and, um, and I one day decided to, well, what happened actually was I, I read a really bad book. Um, a friend of mine had just been handing off some books and she said, here, take this. this It's a beach read. And I was so, I I couldn't put it down. I was so fascinated by how bad it was. (laughs) Um, I really, the dialogue was terrible and the, you know, this would never happen. And this is not how people talk to each other. And, you know, but I couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't put it down. And I, um, it inspired me to say, you know, like, what would I do? The premise of the book starts with two people in a, in an elevator. And I thought, well, what, who would I put in that, that elevator? Mm. And as my mind, as it's wont to do, you know, starts spinning a story. And, um, and it was the first time I really, you know, I had scribbled things in the past, but it was the first time I really sat down and said, like, you know, I'm going to give this a try. I had always had it on my bucket list to um, maybe one day when the kids had grown, I was retired, that I would try and write a novel. And if it wasn't terrible, I would let my friends try uh, read it. Um, but I never really thought about getting published. So I, I was writing this story and I was pretty secretive about it because I didn't know if I would be able to do it. I would. I didn't know if I could finish it. Um, or if it would be any good. Um, so I only let a couple of friends know that I was even doing it and they really enjoyed it and, and said, you know, Hey, this is publishable. 
And so I did start looking into how that would, how could I do that? I didn't, I had no idea. And I actually did get an agent for that book and, and that agent um, really pretty much ignored me. They do, um, they do tend to was, do that. Yeah. They do tend well, to do that. Sometimes, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 um, I don't think that book was very good. It never got published. Honestly, I think of it as my, my practice novel. And, you know, many writers have what we call a book in the drawer, and that's sort of a normal thing. So then I started writing another one, and that one I was much more confident about. And I, I went out again and looked for a new agent, and I was very lucky. Um, the publishing industry requires a lot of luck. Um, and I was lucky I found an agent, and she was able to sell it pretty fast. And that was that was the beginning of me being a published author, which I which was surprising to me. I didn't know if that would ever happen. You have four children, you told me, and uh, I think the art and act of delivering a book to publication is not any way as serious and important as giving birth. But as a guy who can't <laughs> give birth, at least not yet, uh, culture's changing. As a guy who can't give birth, I never did anything as difficult as writing a book at, in terms of hard work, attention to detail, and and. Like you, I wanted to make it better, even at the last minute, and it's it's always a yeah. challenge. Uh, you, when you were saying you read a bad book and that inspired you, it reminded me of, say, Ed Wood, the famous movie director who made the worst films right. on, on planet Earth. Directors probably went into the movie business to just try to do it better. Anyway, let's let's leave that right there. Let's talk about the latest work, which is getting great reviews and is heralded. I have it in my hand. Catch Us When We Fall. It takes on a a very important issue, which is the role that addiction plays in the lives of people we love and care about and the destructive nature and also the hopeful nature when people come together, involves a young heroine named Cass. Why don't you just give us a brief overview and then I want to talk about some of the issues. Sure. So Cass Macklin is 29 years old. Um, She's had a a rough childhood um, and she's basically alone in the world. When she was 18, she, she met Ben McGreevy, um, really smart guy. You know, he loved her. She loved him. They spent their 20s together um, and they were partiers. Um, Both of them had some baggage that they were dealing with. um, And uh, they um, and they and the drinking becomes more and more of a problem. So they um, by the by the time she's 29, you know, she's a pretty serious alcoholic. And her her boyfriend on page one is now dead. Um, and he's died from alcohol poisoning. She finds out very quickly after that, that she's pregnant. Um, and she's broke and she's, you know, basically, you know, trying desperately to hang on to a pretty bad job and not, and, and she doesn't, she knows she needs to make a radical change in her life. If she wants to keep this baby and be a good mom, which she wants to do desperately. She doesn't know anybody who's sober. She doesn't have any family to turn to. And so sort of at her, at her wit's end, she turns to her boyfriend's brother, Scott McGreevy, who is the third baseman for the Red Sox. And he's pretty wary. You know, he spent the last 10 years kind of cleaning up their alcohol-fueled messes. And he doesn't really, first of all, he doesn't think she can get sober and he doesn't really want to deal with it. Um, she's not crazy about him either. You know, the two of them have sort of a not very happy uh, past relationship. And yet they're both very invested in bringing this child into the world safely. And so they have to kind of band together and form a partnership. 
yeah, that's it, of the story. Indeed, and uh, want to talk to you a little bit about the research you did because uh, you have a third baseman who fields grounders like Brooks Robinson, which is very good, uh, Red Sox <laughs> fan. But let's talk about the overriding important issue of alcoholism and abuse and addiction and so forth. There's research that people do. Sometimes it's it's encyclopedic research. Sometimes it's personal. What was it for you in this case? Um, well, a bit of both, actually. Um, I have to say alcoholism's played a pretty important role in my life. Um, I have friends and family members who are, um, you know, victims of the disease. And also my dad uh, has been in recovery for 30 years, but he was drinking when I was growing up. And, um, and that obviously had a real impact on me, as did his recovery. And, and it was the recovery part that was really that really so fascinated me because, you know, recovery isn't just about not drinking. It's really also about personal growth mm. and it's about taking responsibility and it's about self-forgiveness um, and asking for forgiveness. I mean, there's there's a whole lot more to it. And so I, I, I kind of think I always knew that I would write a story about that, about an alcoholic. Um, I went to AA meetings. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous uh, is probably the most well-known alcohol uh, pro- program. There are others, but it's the one that I was most familiar with. He, my father, got very involved in AA, and he, um, and so I went to meetings to sort of figure out, like, what was he getting out of it? Alcohol, Alcoholics Anonymous has both open and closed meetings. The closed meetings are just for the the folks that need it mm-hmm. and the open meetings are for mm-hmm. anyone. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would go to those meetings and, you know, I sort of, at first I thought, Oh, this is going to be really grim. It's going to be, you know, really sad and remorseful. And, you know, there's a bit of that, but there's also a lot of joy and gratitude that um, for folks that have this, this means to sort of stay on track, these resources, this community, and the community is really such a huge part of it. So um, that, that was part of my research. I talked to a lot of people. I read, you know, autobiographies, memoirs of people who, you know, from drinking was a real problem in their lives. Um, and, um, you know, mm. and I, and I also thought about like, alcohol is not, al- alcoholism is a very specific thing, but we all struggle. We all have things we struggle with. And so I could tap into that as well. Well, one of the things that's interesting is uh, the baseball player. I mean, y- you always think that these athletes who are making so much money and they're in the spotlight and, you know, their lives are complex as well. So it's not, sure. no one gets away scot-free by any stretch. And he's an interesting character. You're obviously, all right, you're a homer because you're from here, here being the Boston <laughs> area. But uh, why did you settle on uh, a baseball player and why a third baseman? Well, I, you know, it's funny. This story came to me in sort of a funny way. I was actually working on something else. And I woke up in the morning with this sort of visual of, you know, uh, a casket being lowered into the ground and two people, the only two mourners at this graveside service, and the woman is bombed and the guy is furious. Hmm. And, you know, most people wake up in the morning and there's some vestige of a dream and they get up and go about their days. Writers will sit there and say, no, who is this? And what's happening? And how do these two know each other? And, you know, so um, I, I got really interested in these characters, but I had this other project I was doing. So I was sort of like, oh, don't get distracted by this. You have to do your, you know, so quote unquote, real, real work. So I very quickly named them, you know, Cass and Scott. I just thought I would write one chapter just to sort of get it out of my head, clear the decks, move back to my other work. And I very quickly just thought, well, maybe he's a baseball player. And then once I wrote that chapter, I got so much more invested in Mm. Cass and Scott than I was in the work that I was supposed to be doing. So I basically chucked that and just finally 
you know, I had to have to sit down with myself and said, you know, this is what you're really interested in. And writers have to spend a long time with a subject matter. You know, you have to really love what you're writing about because you're going to be with it for a year or two or more. So I got very interested in this. And then when I decided that he was going to be a baseball player, I thought, well, of course, it's got to be from the Red Sox, you know. And then I thought, a third baseman, you know, I don't want him to be a star player. I don't want him to be, you know, the star relief pitcher or anything like that. Or, you know, David Ortiz, you know, a, mm. a big homer hitter. I wanted him to be sort of in the middle of the pack and and worried about sort of keeping his place on the roster. Um, so that would be one of his issues. And also, you know, he, too, had a very rough childhood. And as Cass says at one point in the book, you know, baseball is his drug of choice. Mm. Baseball is what he does to sort of avoid thinking and dealing with things that he needs to really deal right. with. Let me step back for a second. I'm holding up, and you can see it because uh, we're talking together on screens, holding up uh, Post-it notes. I was wondering, when you said you have an idea when you wake up after a dream, what's the first thing you do so you don't lose the idea? Because I'm always remembering things that I forgot three weeks ago and I should have written it down. I'm just curious how a writer with so much experience and so many hit books does it. I mean, an idea flashes in your head while I'm talking to you. Are you going to write it down somewhere so you won't forget? I probably won't because I'm paying attention to you, Jordan. <laughs> oh, you're very I'm sweet. To be present in the moment. You are. Yes, thank you. I do have a post-it note, a uh, pack of post-it notes in my bedside, you know, my dresser. So I can, my bedside table, so I can <laughs> pull that out. I wake up in the middle of the night and I think of things and I, I scribble them down and I can barely read them in the morning. I've scribbled things on, I mean, I have a lot of grocery receipts with notes on the back of them and, you know, That's so funny. Um, and uh, so it's not, I'm, I'm no more organized than anybody else in terms of just trying to keep track of things. I do, I do find that sometimes I'll have a great idea and I think, oh, I'm never going to forget this. And then I get home and I'm like, what was that? <laughs> so I really do. I really do. I try to like, I email myself or I yeah. text myself or something. Like I'm that. so glad I'm not the only one who has oh, the no, issue. No, okay. No. Let's get back to uh, what people have been saying about this particular book. Uh, they refer to it as a thrilling read. And, and some might think, well, what could be a quote thriller about this? There are no car chases per se. <laughs> But when you're crafting a novel like this with real human characters with faults and problems and issues and desires and dreams, um, what's the secret sauce that turns it into a page turner? I don't know if there's an answer to that, but people have really been describing it as that. And it is. You want to know what happens to these characters. What's the, the mission statement there? Well, I think that I, what you're hoping to do is build characters that people get really attached to. People really want to know uh, they they feel attached to these characters and they want to know if they're going to be okay. They're going to they want to go on this ride with this character. Um, one of the things I really tried to do with Cass was um, really make it clear what it feels like to be inside her skin as somebody who's struggling with this disease. And um, and what's been amazing since the book came out is how much the response that I've gotten from people who have firsthand knowledge of that who are saying yes this feels authentic. This may not be exactly how it works for me or, you know, everybody's got a different story. And I, you know, Cass can't represent everyone, but that it felt authentic to people who are in recovery and mm -hmm. trying to, to stay sober. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got um, a plot where she, she's got a sort of a do or die moment. She's got a more, you know, nine months where she's got to really keep herself together. And 
it's hard. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully I've built a plot where people say, you know, is it going to work? Is she going to get there? Is she going to slip up um, and care enough about her to hang in there and find out? Yeah, that nine months ticking time bomb, it could be a ticking time bomb because you're sure. dealing with another, another, pardon me, you're dealing with another life. You know, in a, I don't know if anyone else has mentioned this to you, but um, it's almost a, an appropriate novel for where we are on the time continuum during this post-pandemic. Yeah. I like to say post-pandemic era because it involves characters who come together out of necessity, and grudgingly perhaps, but it's about ultimately connection and why we need it. Um, you wrote this, I assume, during part of the situation we've been in during part of the pandemic? No, 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 no. I, oh, you I didn't. wrote it well before. Publishing oh. takes a long time. Okay. So, um, but do no, you know, I, do I wrote you, it well before. Do you understand where I'm going with this? That there's a, yes. a thirst no, think, for, for readers to want to see characters come together after so much separation we've all experienced. I think that's absolutely true. I also think um, that there has been a lot, there's been a real uptick in people's drinking and substance use because of the stress and anxiety we've been under for the last 18 months. And so um, that that's one thing that people have mentioned to me that, you know, they've, there's, there's certainly this, the anxiety um, that this pandemic has produced has really increased people's want, you know, desire to kind of yeah. numb out, which is a big problem, but also, I think there's this way in which, as you say so wisely, we've all been trapped in our homes. We've been curtailed from doing, you know, all the things that we do to go out in the world. And this desire for connection is such a human basic primal need. Um, and one of the things that's been very interesting to me is see how people are so creative about about being together without being together, you know, about finding ways to connect despite what we're dealing with. And, so. and, and Juliet, a novel, when well-crafted as yours are, and I, I still refer back to the comparison to Jackie Machard, another fine example of this. By the way, both of you are in human services and have a social services background, which is interesting. A novel or a work of fiction or film that's well-produced that involves characters. These are made-up people, but they're doing what real people do in a setting that's mm -hmm. staged has a great impact. Fiction has a great impact is what I'm trying to say sure on, on all of us, doesn't it? Well, you know, it's so interesting. They've been doing some, some brain science around why fiction works because, you know, it's not real. Um, but apparently the research has shown that fiction works because it feels real and somewhere in our brains, mm. we think this is really happening. And I learned that after my first novel, Shelter Me, um, people came up to me afterwards and, and asked me, you know, what happened? Like, how did Janie, Janie's the main character, how, you know, what happened with Janie after the book ended? And foolishly, my response as a new, newly minted author was nothing. She's a fictional character. She doesn't exist. And I realized very quickly that was the wrong answer, that I needed to respect the fact that what worked about the novels, people felt like Janie was out there. And so I had, you know, I would say, well, you know, here's what I think, you know, or, or, or that kind of thing. And, and, and I know I feel that way about books. I love that. I'm like, I hope they're, I hope they're okay. You know, mm -hmm. I hope they're enjoying their, you know, I hope things worked out or, or that kind of thing. So that's, you know, that, that ability for our brains to really sink into that. Um, what do they call it? The um, willing suspension of disbelief. 
Exactly. Um, and and to and to really be in the world of the character is what makes fiction so enjoyable. Finally, there's great connection between the title and the story. The title says a lot. Catch us when we fall. First of all, there's pun in every title like in my world. Catch us. He's a third <laughs> baseman. But it's really the overarching theme that we all fall and we all need somebody to catch us, isn't it? That's exactly right. And in fact, this book has had a bunch of different titles um, over the you know time that I've been working on it. I've retitled it about you know ten times. And my my the title I had landed on was Dry Land mm. um, because I you know she's sort of you know she's in this alcohol sodden world and she's searching for dry land. And my editor liked it. My my agent liked it. Everybody seemed to like it. And then the sales team said it was too dry, <laughs> which, you know what? They were absolutely right. So yeah. then I went back to the drawing, drawing board and I came up with, I, I was doing all this research on songs and poems that involved like drinking or baseball or babies. And um, I finally came up with catch me when, catch me when, if I fall. Mm -hmm. And then I talked to a bunch of author pals of mine and they said, you know, no, it's catch us because we all fall. And not if, and but when. when. Yes, absolutely. Right. We all, it's that human connectedness. We all Bravo. need to be sort of the safety safety yeah. net for each other yeah. because we're all going to fall eventually in some way. Yeah. So I was, yeah, I was, I was very pleased when we, you know, but it was a group effort. It was, you know, not, That's not all me. So interesting to sort of glean the, the backstory of how it all comes together. But I, I just yeah. thought the title was probably one of the more appropriate titles I've, yeah. I've read in a novel in, a, in quite some time. So this one uh, continues to reap all kinds of great reviews and people are reading it. I'm sure you're working on your next one and I'm sure Hollywood is going to be calling it. Is it already knocked <laughs> on your door for any of your previous novels? Yeah, I Actually, the Tumbling Turner sisters. There's there's a there's some interest going on there. I, I it, nothing that I can really talk about, but um, the Tumbling Turner sisters is a historical fiction about a family that goes into vaudeville in 1919. Um, nobody's That's, come knocking on my door about catch us when we fall, but I'm available to uh, any producers who are out there. That's right. You know, I, I meant conversation. to I, I meant to mention that, and I'll mention it now. The fact that you have interesting designs on on eras and sports and things like that. You're really a, a woman after my own heart because I love vaudeville. I want to read that one. Really? Oh, yeah. my God. It's, Old showbiz uh, stuff. I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. I, oh, my gosh. The research for that was so much fun, Jordan. It really was. Well, this one is not just fun. It is fun, but it's provocative. It's deep, and it'll keep you guessing and keep your page turning. It's called Catch Us When We Fall. So nice to meet you and actually see you again because it turns out we met in the past, but now we're friends again. So nice to uh, congratulate you. You have a website. Why don't you direct people to that? I do. It's julietfay.com. And there's, you know, anything that you could want to know about events and where to, where to get the books and more about the books um, uh, right there, julietfay.com. All right. May you have many more bestsellers. I'm sure you will. Nice to see you again. God bless. Thank you so much, Jordan. Thanks for having me on the show. Ah, Juliet, what a delightful lady and a terrific novelist. Visit julietfay.com for much more. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast, for subscribing, downloading, rating, and reviewing us. Also, thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry and the gang at Chart Productions in Boston. And it won't be too long from now, but until we meet again, as always, I'll say it this way. Be well, so you can do good. This is Jordan saying, take care.